Welcome to the CEC report for the 17th of July 2015. I'm Elisa Barwick and joining me today is Craig Isherwood. Welcome Craig. Yeah, thanks Elisa. And on today's show, MH17, if US hadn't backed Ukraine coup, 38 Australians would still be alive. And secondly, Eurogroup Euro punishes Greece, coup in the works. So firstly, today is the first anniversary of the crash of the MH17 aircraft over Ukraine. And this morning, uh, people would have awoken to the news of a new video that obviously was held off until today uh, by News Corp, which purports to show uh, Russian-backed rebels uh, after the plane crashed at the site of the wreckage and the media are basically acting as News Corp often does as a propaganda outlet in this case for those mm -hmm. that are driving for a global conflict with Russia because they say that this video proves um, that these Russian-backed rebels brought down this plane and that they are admitting such on the video. But if you go to the website of news.com.au, which people should do, and actually watch the full video clip that they provide rather than just the little shots they show on the, uh, the news, what you see is that it's clearly a video of people that have uh, seen and discovered this wreckage and are realising, okay, that this is a civilian aircraft that has crashed. It's not some part of the conflict or the war. It's not a military um, disaster. But this is, they're looking through the wreckage and discovering that this is in fact a civilian plane. Um, now, Craig, this plane was shot down because it was flying over a war zone. And even relatives today have come out saying, look, we don't blame any particular party, this was a war. But Russia didn't start this war, did it? No, we've talked many times on this program, Elisa, about the fact that you had Russia beginning to extend its influence in the Eurasian area. And uh, it was encouraging Ukraine to join its European Customs Union mm. uh, back in the 2013-2014 period. And in fact, uh, Ukraine was intending to go in that direction. Once that idea got out, then you had a massive uh, mobilisation by forces that were funded by the US. I mean, Victoria yeah. Newland, the uh, the ambassador to to, to Europe, uh, came out and said that we'd funded over two billion dollars to two thousand NGO you know groups inside Ukraine mm. to ferment the necessary opposition to and these you know, to fund literally Nazi groups like Right Sector mm -hmm. to come in and, and stage this violent coup, throw out an elected representative, elected uh, president. And therefore, what you've got today is a complete mess. Now, I also want to make the point is that there's, for, for people who may be a bit cynical about Australian politics, you have every right to be. Of course, why was this video released today? It's for maximum propaganda benefit, mm. both to attack Russia, but also to prop up the uh, political fortunes of the likes of uh, Julie Bishop and Tony Abbott. I mm. mean, there's no secret that, uh, you know, Julie Bishop's got president... Uh, you know, Prime Ministerial ambitions. We're, we're in an election cycle now. Mm. So what, what, what do these uh, uh, politicians do? They attack Russia. Russia's a long way away. People have a very vague idea about who Russia is. I mean, I've just come back from Russia. And when you go to Russia and you see actually Russia as a nation, who the people are, you have a completely different idea than the sorts of propaganda-inspired ideas you might have mm. from the West about who actually Russia is. Mm. So that's the first thing. Is you, we're in a cynical election cycle right now, but also uh, Russia is a key member. In fact, it has the uh, leadership of the BRICS grouping mm. of countries. It's Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa. 
and Russia is moving ahead with these countries to develop a new world economic order, new financial structures to overcome the problems to, 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 of the West right now. Because the transatlantic financial system is disintegrating and people would have, as we'll cover in the second segment of this program, would see the sort of incredible austerity, the, the brutality that's being afforded to the Greece, mm. to Greek people today. That's the system that Russia is opposing. Mm. And it's winning more and more friends. It's mm. winning, winning more and more uh, uh, support mm. amongst various nations, not just the BRICS countries themselves, but many, many other nations are saying, we don't want this oligarchical, this, this banker-run system uh, that is dominating the mm. West today. And that's exactly what Ukraine was beginning to do in November 2013, just before uh, these massive protests and violent protests began on the street, which were fueled, funded from the get-go and, by and the Americans. And look, there's no secret down here, Elisa. Our Liberal and Labor parties, they're both run by the banks. Mm. They're both funded by the banks. Yeah. They never, uh, never bring in policies like Glass-Steagall, or even talk about Glass-Steagall. They are terrified. The political parties, the major political parties, are terrified about taking any sort of action against the banks in this country. And whilst <laughs> that happens, ordinary people are going to get the Greek treatment here in Australia mm, as well. Exactly. Now, the other thing that happened in the last week, uh, 3rd of July actually, was the proposal that the UN Security Council establish an international criminal tribunal to be able to actually lay charges against the perpetrators of MH17, um, which... The investigation hasn't finished. It'll be making its report in October on its findings. But, of course, from the get-go, uh, the likes of Julie Bishop and Abbott and so forth have just said there's no question that it was Russia. So they've continued to uh, lay that blame without waiting for the findings of the investigation. And that's why it's interesting that the countries that have called for this criminal tribunal, um, they are the same countries that are a part of the investigation, namely Australia, Belgium, Malaysia, Ukraine and the Netherlands. But of course, you know, you think about the fact that the Ukraine is a part of that, but Russia is not. Ukraine didn't have people on the plane that day. So obviously that investigation is biased from the get-go. Those um, nations that are now calling for this criminal tribunal clearly have one objective and that is furthering this assault upon Russia which as you said uh, is about the geopolitical the global geopolitical circumstances and of course you look at the numerous allegations that have been made against Russia all the way along many by Australia uh, and none of them have materialized I mean think about for example they've been disproven but one example which is really clear is all these accounts of Russian troops amassing inside Ukraine. Mm. So where's the invasion? You know, why hasn't Russia followed through on an invasion if that's what they are well, intending? Just, just think about it for one second, as has been pointed out to me. How long would you think it would take Russia to take over Ukraine if it really decided to mobilise its forces? Exactly. Points? 48 hours. Mm. Or maybe 72. But the point is, if Russia had intentions of taking over Ukraine, it would be happening before the news cycle finished. <laughs> exactly. And that's the nature. And this is the, the, there is no intention, as Vladimir Putin has said many times, of Russia invading Ukraine. Mm. And uh, that, but that is not in the interest of the West mm. to promote that idea, mm. or to, you know, in, in terms of tell the truth about that. And the other thing that's interesting is that this MH17 crash happened within days of the 14th to 16th of July for to Fortaleza summit of the BRICS, which was the summit where they uh, decided to go with the BRICS New Development Bank. So obviously Russia being a key part of that, this was a major escalation. And the, 
the recent seventh summit held in Ufa, Russia, mm -hmm. only just completed last week. Yes. So this is playing into the, again. Exactly, regenerating that cycle. Yeah. So we'll stop there and after the break we'll talk about Greece. Welcome back to the CEC Report. Eurogroup punishes Greece. Coup in the works? Now, on the 5th of this month, of course, we had the big referendum in Greece, which voted, the people overwhelmingly voted no to making a deal with the Eurogroup um, of a new bailout and new austerity and so forth. Now, of course, as everyone would know, the government of Greece has caved for one reason or another and the people of Greece feel betrayed by this. But you, and we don't know all the goings on. Of course, there were obviously threats and so forth. And as we put it in one publication, people bodies were dangled over balconies and whatnot in the usual way. Um, but let's look at the, the broader perspective of it because Greece was the first European country with all of the you know, uprisings across from Italy to Ireland, Portugal, Spain. Greece was the first country that actually uh, voted as a nation to break from the transatlantic or the European financial powers. Secondly, the way that it was moving where it had been invited to become the sixth member of the new development bank started by, by the BRICS, yeah, by, by Russia, Russia yeah. is that this was another major threat. What if Greece were to become the first European nation not only to break with the transatlantic sector, but to move with the BRICS. And that was a huge threat. And so at the point that that began in recent, um, the recent month or longer, uh, regime, the drive for regime change basically went into high gear. And what has, been, what has happened since the referendum on the 5th has been described as a coup in slow motion. Well, Lisa, I think... In order to understand the events in Greece, you have to put it in the larger context. Like, Greece is a member of the EU, and the EU is basically an oligarchical system. What I mean by that is that you have a, an elite, an elected elite, an unelected elite in this mm. case, that's dictating the policies for the people. And when countries joined the EU, they had to surrender their sovereignty. That meant that they had to surrender things like their currency. Mm. Therefore, you know, the drachma was substituted for the euro. And all, not just the currency, but all the means to produce the drachma, all the printing presses, all the, the, you know, the dyes, everything to be able to create an independent currency to express actually what is the basic element of sovereignty was destroyed. So that basically meant that now Greece finds itself in a system where it has no rights. It's got an unelected bureaucracy over the top of it that don't care about the people as an oligarchy doesn't. So even if it wants to try and express sovereignty, it can't because it can't issue its own currency. Now, we're exceptionally lucky here in Australia. We still have the Australian dollar, even though it's one of the most traded you know, currencies mm. in the world and it's speculated upon and so forth. We have the means to recover our sovereignty by taking control of our do dollar at any time. Greece doesn't have that. And this is the biggest issue that you'll find in Greece today. The idea that many people have, oh, Greece should just leave the euro mm. and, and create its own currency again. Yes. It can't. It doesn't have the means. Unless it orientates towards Russia and China mm. that have the means to be able to provide the necessary means to produce a currency, mm -hmm. then you're talking about you know 12 months, 18 months to be able to even do that. So this element of sovereignty 
is lost in the European countries. And look, the biggest, one of the biggest targets of Maastricht, which is the basis of the European Union, was in fact Germany. Because Germany has a cultural ability to be able to, when it's a technological powerhouse in terms of its history. So it has to be constrained, right? Uh, and this is what the, uh, the European oligarchy wanted to do with Germany. So we're talking about Greece now, trying to break out of that oligarchical system. And you see that the uh, various operations run on Greece are directed not necessarily at Greece itself, but also against Russia that did step in and say, OK, well, we'll make you a sixth signing partner to the new development bank, the BRICS. The intention, the natural intention of Russia and the BRICS countries is to work with Greece to develop it. But that would mean uh, the EU losing a key partner. Mm. So you've had this incredible... Uh, attack on Greece, on the austerity that's going to come back in. They don't care about the Greek people. Mm. And what's more important is that people should be looking at this and saying, this is the model for the new world economic order, the new, you know, the world economic order, world one world government. Mm. That is the intention of the global financial oligarchy run through the city of London and Wall Street. What you're seeing, what's done, done with Greece, is the intention for for the oligarchy to do to everywhere mm. on the face of the planet. Yeah, it's a fascist model. If you actually look at the agreement that was signed and which the parliament has just passed, um, I mean, you're talking about a $50 billion um, asset um, conglomerate of public assets that are put into a trust, transferred into a trust. The Greeks will have no say over where any of the proceeds of those privatisations will go. And basically they will go into the black hole of debt, which is already considered by every expert to be unsustainable. It's a bit like a sheep doesn't have control over its wool fleece, so <laughs> right, that's what's happening here yeah, in Greece. Yeah, exactly, they're being fleeced. Um, you've got the value-added tax going up, you've got cuts to wages and pensions of up to 85% in some cases. The constitutional rulings that this government fought and got are being cancelled. You'll have the removal of collective bargaining, a ban on industrial action, um, there'll be action that'll have to be taken on non-performing loans, including foreclosures and evictions. Um, the Greeks will lose control over their banks and over specific funds that receive the funds, bailout funds and so They're forth. They're basically going to become a non-nation. They're exactly. going to become absorbed into this monolith called the EU and the Greek people are going to be said, you have to pay us for mm. now and forever. Exactly. There'll be actually automatic spending cuts that will automatically come in if certain targets are not reached. And I mean, all of this, um, it, it really hails back to a report that was put out by JP Morgan Chase, which came out um, in May 2013, called the Euro Area Adjustment, about halfway there. And it basically said that anti-fascist measures that were brought in into uh, European countries on the southern periphery uh, after World War II uh, would not allow for the certain types of austerity that are required to sustain the current global financial and banking system. Um, it said that democracies such as the constitutional protection of labour rights, consensus building systems which foster political clientelism and the right to protest if unwelcome changes are made to the political status quo um, will be you know, too protected in those regions. So you are talking about fascism coming through. But on the other hand, one stunning admission that just came out was the IMF put out a report, this was leaked on the 14th of July, uh, where they said this new deal that's just been struck cannot work. The debt will grow to 200% of GDP within two years. 
uh, that instead Greece needs a 30-year debt moratorium on debt payments, principal and interest to avert a complete collapse. And the media reaction was interesting. We had headlines like IMF triggered political earthquake, IMF walks away from bailout and they're asking whether or not the bailout can go ahead without the IMF being a part of that as they're part of the well, Troika. that's a key thing because the IMF, EU, these guys, the World Bank, all sort of walk, walk in lock, lockstep mm. on these sorts of policies. And here you have a major significant Western uh, you know, monetary fund saying this is not going to work. Now, this means that the entire Greek situation is by no means solved at all. I mean, this is a completely no. fluid situation. And what's really stunning to me is that it's becoming even more what they're doing in Greece, the more they push it, also says to other nations, we're not going to have a bar of this system. Mm. We're not going to go this direction, which in, in, in a sense uh, strengthens the, the BRICS process that's taking place as the alternative. Exactly. And there was one um, high-level US intelligence source that warned our International Bureau of EIR of a pending military coup in Greece as part of this overall move towards outright fascism in Europe. And of course, when you saw the scenes on the TV this week of the people in Syntagma Square, it really reminded you of Independence Square in, in Ukraine, the Maidan. And uh, you know, I mean, um, Yanis Varoufakis was interviewed by Philip Adams this week, and he said, every time I walk into the parliament there on my right are 10 members of the, um, are 10 Nazis, he said, um, they're members of the Golden Dawn, that are members of Parliament. And he said, to the extent that the government doesn't oppose this austerity and this agreement, they will be um, basically pushed forward and promoted by that because they'll be seen as the only force that is standing against the austerity. Mm. So that's a real danger here as well, uh, especially as you've even got the threat of a bail-in now, Cyprus-style bail-in of those banks in Greece and the people getting increasingly angry. So, of course, the only process which we'll talk about um, after the break that will be able to resolve this is nations across the world, including Greece, including Australia, going with this BRICS New World Financial Order. Welcome back to the CEC Report. So we've just been talking about how the Eurogroup are punishing Greece because they have dared to enforce their sovereignty um, and threatened to break from not only the transatlantic financial system, uh, but also threatening to ally with uh, BRICS and associated countries that are forging a new world economic architecture. Now, um, on the 8th to 9th of July in Ufa, Russia, uh, the BRICS summit has just been held and for this year, and the Chinese president Xi Jinping described this as unleashing the structure of a new global process a process which is irreversible, which is very, very interesting. And let's hope it's not only irreversible, but that it sweeps up the entire world because it has to mm. if the world's going to get out of the mess that we're in. I mean, uh, you've got to start from the point of view of where the BRICS is coming from. And it does start from the principle of national sovereignty, first and foremost. Mm. It's watched the West destroy the, the, the sovereignty of nations, as I said before, with EU. It's watched the inability of the West to deal with its financial system, the global financial crisis, the inability to deal with the, the rampant speculation that's going on, and also this commitment by the West to have actually no real economic development amongst poor nations. It's seen that. the BRICS, These BRICS groupings of countries have come together and they've seen that and said, we don't want to have a part of that. Mm. So when you say it's irreversible, what, what's irreversible is the, is the 
is the principle. Yeah. And that principle is an age-old principle. And the win-win uh, policy of Xi Jinping, for example, is the same idea as the old principle of uh, what we call the principle of Westphalia, or the Treaty of Westphalia, which mm. ended the Hundred Years' War, of the idea of the advantage of the other. Where you enter into agreements mm -hmm. where there's a lot of disagreement necessarily amongst the partners on various things, but you say you have a higher idea of reaching agreement amongst the most important issues. And that's the nature of the BRICS. I mean, they're not by any means a homogenous, happy little grouping of countries. Or perfect countries. Or perfect in countries. I mean, don't get that idea. No. That's not the way it is. What they are coming together and saying is we have these differences, some of them are serious, some of them are, but we, we are committed to working through this. Mm. And that's what people see as being, uh, you know, these, these other countries are saying we want to be a part of that dialogue. And coming back from the Civic BRICS conference, which happened a week before uh, the UFA conference, you know, I was part of a, a delegation, you know, 500 different delegates, where we were discussing these crucial elements of peace and security, education, health, a different approach where there's a lot of a lot of policies were put forward to the UFA summit about how ordinary people from civic society, you know, political groupings, NGOs and so forth, looked at these sorts of policies. So there's a dialogue taking place at that level. Where do you get that in the West? Mm. You, you just don't get it. Uh, so what the alternative is for Greece is mm. to orientate towards BRICS. That's why there's this hysteria going on right now. But, I mean, the BRICS process, as I said, as you said before, is irreversible because it is also optimistic. Mm. And, and the nations that are a part of it are committed to it because they know there's no going back. There's, well, the, the fact can't. that G came out on the uh, 9th and 10th mm. of July and said we're going to build 4,000 kilometres mm. of railroad and 10,000 kilometres of highway within the, uh, the SCO, Shanghai, Shanghai Cooperation mm. Organisation regions as part of the one belt, one region or one road, this shows you that it's not just propaganda. Mm, they mm. intend to physically transform the economies of these poorer countries by this commitment to economic development, to sovereignty and to, to the people of those mm, regions. Yeah, and if you look at the kind of developments, we've been keeping a track of developments in between BRICS countries, in new partnerships, new uh, agreements that are being signed. And, I mean, it's just... So such a long list and they're actually being built, they're going forward, we're keeping track of what is actually accomplished on that list and you can see it's actually growing, it's building, it's extraordinary. Uh, you know, you compare that to what we see, as you said, we're coming back into an election cycle, we'll no doubt start getting from our infrastructure Prime Minister countless uh, promises of infrastructure and development projects, none of which will materialise or even get beyond the stage of um, studies. I mean, think about one of the things I was remembering was when Joe Hockey at the Cairns Finance Minister's Summit before the G20 meeting last year talked about establishing an infrastructure hub which was supposed to be bringing together private, the private and the public sector to help the interaction between those two sectors to create various projects. Well, what have they achieved? When you compare, you don't even hear any mention of it, uh, compared to what we're actually seeing concretely going forward within the BRICS nations. And that's because it's driven top down by the actual governments mm. within each of these countries. Like, it's not based upon how do I uh, appease public, private corporations mm. 
in order to make, for them to make a profit. The ones that are about, funding us or whatnot. This is the, about making uh, decisions for the benefit of the nation into the future, which is not where the private sector comes in. Exactly, for the common good of the people. And you can read a lot more about all of these subjects we've discussed today in our Australian Alert Service, and you can join our email list to get regular uh, weekly updates as well. The only so, alternative news source that there is in this country exactly. is what we put out. Yep, to News Corp. So that's all we've got time for. Thanks for tuning into the CEC report and join us again next week.